0: GalaxyCon Live is the place for you to hear about fandom from the celebrities who bring geek culture to life. Welcome, friends and fans, to another edition of GalaxyCon Live, where we are bringing the convention experience directly to you. And today, we are going to Los Angeles and beyond with our amazing guest. So without further ado, let's call in all uniformed units and see who reports in. Our guest today is an actor whose body of work includes Adam-12, Predator 2, Farscape, and the highly undervalued Airplane 2, the sequel, and so much more. Today joins us to discuss this fantastic career. Please welcome
1: Mr. Kent McCord. Hey, how are you doing?
0: Uh, Good, Kent. How you doing?
1: I'm good, thank you. Uh, That was a a nice uh, run into it. See old friends and everything and see Shatner there. We worked (laughs) on Airplane 2 together yes and then, uh, you know and then and then also when i was doing the adventures of Ozzie and harriet we moved over to culver city at Lu culver uh, mm-hmm. for the last season of the show the 14th and final season of the adventures of Ozzie and harriet and next to us was this new show that was coming on called something like star trek or something like that mm-hmm. and uh, i wonder whatever happened to that
0: I know. You know, it shows up in the old, you know, cult TV books occasionally, you know. Yeah. It's considered a curiosity. I've seen a couple episodes. It's charming.
1: Yes. Yes, it
0: is. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, Kent, uh, thank you for joining us here on the GalaxyCon virtual stage. Our team is going through the chat room right now, pulling out the questions. In the meantime, I I just throw this out. I do this every time I get a a solo one-on-one like this. What got you interested in becoming an actor?
1: Well, you know... It's funny. When I look back, I just had an interview with somebody and I said, I actually, when I was about eight years old, appeared on television for the first time. And it was a television station at the University of Southern California. But that wasn't what spurred me on to becoming an actor. I was uh, uh, playing football. I was a college student, freshman, just finished my freshman football season at a community college out here in in Southern California called Citrus. A family that I was living with, their son was at UCLA in and in a member of the Phi Psi fraternity, which at UCLA is the jock house. And, yeah. and, and and Mike had come home one weekend and he said, you know, we're going to play a touch football game. Are you interested? And I said, uh, yeah. You know, And he said, It's going to be Ricky Nelson's team and we're going to play a team that Elvis Presley has. And I said to Mike, Oh yeah, Mike, let me know when that happens. And a couple of weeks later, Mike came home from UCLA and he said, you know, the game we were talking about, we're going to play tomorrow, but tonight we're going to drive into Hollywood and meet with Rick and talk about the game and drop some plans and stuff like that. Sure. And sure enough, we drove in 30 miles from where was living into the Hollywood, went to Rick's house. The next day, we a group of us met at the Fisai house at UCLA and caravaned over to a little park. And those of you who have Google Earth or Google Maps or anything can look this up. It's a little park called Deneve Park in Bel Air. And you can look up this postage stamp size park. I don't know how we played this game in there. But anyhow, we met at, the, at UCLA at the Fisai and then we caravaned over to the park and Pretty soon came Elvis followed by three cars and all the guys, red and Sonny and Alan Fortas, all wow. the, you know all of his buddies and and we started playing this football game at this park. and I was just had just turned 18. And, you know, I, I, I don't know, you know, I, I, I'm not ashamed to say I was very impressed with the company we were keeping that day wow, and wow. we played in this game until it got too dark to continue because we were winning and Elvis didn't want to quit you know, <laughs> and all the guys. And off of that, Rick and I became friends and I started working on, you know, I started visiting the set and then Ozzy put me to work yeah. on the adventures of Ozzy and Harriet. And I was working background. And then one day he threw, uh, it's really not a line. It's two words. Who's Rick (laughs) at a, in a show. And that got me into the guild, into the screen actors guild. I had already joined the screen extras guild Mm -hmm. and was doing work all over town, working background. And, you know, that was the beginning of it. And I, I did the role as Kent for five years on the adventure, five seasons on the adventures of Ozzy and Harriet.
0: Yeah.
1: And during that period of time, football didn't work the way that I wanted it to. I had gone to the university. I had been pegged to go to the university of Southern California and I was a terrible student and I had, I I came up short on a grade point average and wound up accepting a full ride to the university of Utah. Mm. And that was in 1962. Spring of 62, I was up there, and our red-white game got snowed out. I'm a Southern California kid, born and raised, Yeah. and we're, you know, in spring and April, it was snow on the ground, <laughs> and I, I I, knew my wife and I were going to get it. It wasn't exactly a place that I wanted to uh, go. The married dorms at the University of Utah at that time were World War II Quonset huts. And I don't know if you know what a Quonset hut is or our audience out there, they may be too young to know, but they were corrugated steel, kind yeah. of round, you know, shaped things. And I just went, you know, yeah. snow, Quonset hut, wife, this isn't happening. So I came yeah. that down and uh, transferred into the university of Southern California. Yeah. But by that point I had been doing Ozzy and Harriet for a couple of years at that point. And, yeah. uh, then when the thing, you know, didn't work out, I walked into Universal one day. I'd, I'd lost a lot of my football playing weight. And a guy who was in extra casting was moving up into new talent. And hmm. uh, he looked at me and he, he didn't recognize me as a matter of fact. And I said, it's me, Bob. You, have, you know, And he went, listen, I'm going, would you consider testing for a contract here? And I said, I love it. And so I did and was signed to uh, a long-term contract at Universal. wound up staying there for 15 years. yeah so and that'll do it. And
0: yeah. you you talk about the the extra work I mean and, and way you were making those bones back in there you you were on the sets of like like several of my favorite movies from that decade Seven oh. days of May, Americanization yeah. of Emily, the Warlord. Yeah. I mean you yeah. you were out of some very diverse projects, so a lot of that must have right. been able to rub off on you.
1: Yeah, no, there. you know, that was people, we talk about this, and it's come up before those were some of the th- most enjoyable days that I've ever had in this business. You know, being on a set of seven days in May, where you've got Frederick March, and you've got Edmund O'Brien, and you know, I mean, the, the Bert Lancaster, and you know, you know you're working. You're there, you're watching these people who you grew up idolizing and some of the finest actors that the business has ever, ever had. And, and you're able there and you've got a kind of a goal and a thought in mind, you know, this, uh, I always knew at one point, once I started in the business, I was either going to be in front of the camera or behind the camera, but I was going to be in this business. And I rode, you know, we had a, when I started, I don't know if, if your audience is familiar with a man named Bill Fraker. But Bill Fraker was a cinematographer on Paint Your Wagon. He was a cinematographer on Bullet. He started out on Ozzy and Harriet. He was doing sticks. Mark, boom, and hit the sticks. And and then he moved up to operator assistant and then operator and, and then to cinematographer and became one of the great cinematographers in our business. But I used to ride the camera and, you know, on rehearsals and stuff and operate the wheel. And I, yeah. and I thought, you know, this is the business is just a great business. I mean. And, you know, and then the, the thing happened where a bunch of my friends and we did like John Goldfarb, please come home. I wind up on the cover of, of uh, Sports Illustrated with Red West, who was Elvis's best friend and, yeah. and, you know, his protector when Elvis was at Humes High School. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, Red and I are on that. And we wind up on the cover of, of Sports Illustrated attempting to tackle Shirley McLean and and you know so you're, you're doing that i did a lot of combats played a lot of german soldiers on combat and you know and you're on a lot like mgm columbia over at universal you know those those were still when the lots you know especially universal one time they had i think 20 shows shooting yeah. uh, for television plus the movies that they did.
0: That was the last stage of the studio system.
1: Really. Yeah. You know, and I became a beneficiary of of, of what had happened. You know, I, I, I spent 40 years either as a board member, an officer, or a committee member at the Screen Actors Guild. Yeah. And in 1960, 61, Bobby Kennedy's Justice Department sued Universal, sued MCA for a conflict of interest under the taft taft or not taft hartley but under the conflict laws Mm -hmm. because they were they were the producer of product and they also owned an agency and had exclusive representation for people that they could put into this product and so they said they came to they went to mca and they said you either have to be a producer or an agency make your choice you can't be both Hmm. So, they chose to be a producer. They owned review studios. they then purchased universal and And interestingly, what happened was they reinstituted the old contract system,
0: yeah,
1: and started signing a lot of talent to exclusive deals. And then I became a beneficiary of that. yeah and And while I had actually been making more money as a <laughs> as an extra, a background performer, than I was when I was under contract at Universal. It gave me the opportunity to make a clean break from yeah. from working as extra and yeah. concentrate on acting. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I've I've always, you know. And that, that comes not, to my I, uh, Not regretted the, the decision. And moving ahead,
0: I'm not sure if it was your first appearance on Dragnet, but I think there was a, I think I think. You, I think could it be fair to say your formal introduction to Jack Webb was when he told you how to properly enter the scene?
1: My first, my first encounter with Jack was in a pilot that Jack did, a two-hour movie of the week, where there was a guy that was killing models. Mm. And and it was the thing to bring Dragnet back. But, but again, I, I'm i a young guy, you know. you know, I was born in 1942, to give you, you know, so I'll be 80 at the end of September. So to give you a timeline, I grew up in a home without a television. Right. We had a radio. Mm-hmm. We listened to Ozzie and Harriet. Yeah. We listened to Dragnet when it came on in 48. You know, I'm six years old. And then those shows transitioned into television. Now I'm I'm out at Universal in 1966, I think it was when Jack was on the lot and under contract and he's doing the pilot and a guy at Universal takes me over to meet Jack Webb, who in my house, with my mother especially, was a big deal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, now, so now I'm meeting one of these guys, you know, and I'd been around Ozzie Nelson who was, you know a genius and jack had the same kind of genius as oz but they were they were two sides of the same coin one never drank never smoked never cussed oz the other one drank smoked and cussed (laughs) and yelled and that was jack and so i go in to meet jack webb for the first time and and i'm in i'm in studying and i'm we studied a particular exercise in cold reading. And Jack says, can you read? And I said, Yeah, I've been trying to look at it. And, I, and he says, screw that stuff, using another four letter word. <laughs> yeah. And and he throws a newspaper across his desk. And he said, read the headline, kid. So I read what and I and I wish to God I could remember what it was. I'd I'd have it framed. Yeah. But I but I read the headline, he says, good kids, you can read, you got the job. <laughs> and that <laughs> and that led to me playing a hotel clerk in that two hour pilot that yeah. didn't air for another year and a half or something, because they picked up the half hour. Mm-hmm. So that was the first time with, with Jack. Yeah. Now the second time that happens, and we got very I got very lucky. I had been doing a show, an episode of a show called Pistols and Petticoats Hmm. with a very abusive director. Mm. And at this point in my life, I was bouncing in a bar, making more money than I was under contract at Universal. Hmm. And, you know, I basically took no guff from nobody. Right, (laughs) And... And this old guy, he decides, you know, because I'm the low guy on the call sheet, he's gonna, he's gonna put all of his lack of staying on schedule on my back. And he did some things, and I finally said, "Stop, old man! Nobody's talked to me like you." Yeah. I'm, and you're not going to be the first. That reverberated all around the lot that that incident mm-hmm. had happened, and I went up to, I went up to the guy who signed me the guy who had been in extra casting who said, would you test for, it? and he goes, Jesus Christ, what'd you do to Pistols and Petticoats? I said, why, what'd they say? He said, they said you ruined the show. I said, it was seven lines. <laughs> 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 it was seven lines. And so now, now we fade and we, I'm working on Dragnet for the first time playing a uniform police officer. Yeah, and, and Jack had a very short, wick you know and it, and,
0: it, it, it is infamous
1: <laughs> yeah. and so so i'm doing this thing where i walk up and i knock on a door and i say sergeant friday and he says yeah and i say officer or whatever my, name, my character anymore and uh and you're you know the apb on the suspect yeah well i think we got him down and that's yeah. the, the kind of little sequence that goes on so in the in the setup uh, uh, Jack and Harry are at a table looking at a at, at a box of dynamite where dynamite is missing, and there's a flag swastika pinned up on it, and this is a neo-Nazi who's going to uh, threaten to blow up a school. So they were at the table when I did the knock, and Jacks, I said Sergeant Friday, and he says, "Yeah," and I say, "I'm officer," so I'm working the detail down. So we get one in the can. And he asked the, the cameraman, "Was the kid on camera when he introduced himself?" And the cameraman said, "No." And Jack says, "Okay, this time, you know, when you knock on the door and you and you say Friday, wait till I get to you before you introduce yourself." And he says, "That way I can cut in and get a close-up of your mug so your mother can see who you are." <laughs> you know. <And> so, <laughs> And we've done this thing now 10, 12 times. I mean, you know, and now yeah. I knock on the I knock on the door, Sergeant Friday, he says, Yeah, I say, I'm and, and he I do it the way we've done it 10 or 12 times. He yells, cut. And he goes, Cut, it, kid, get out there and use your head. And he's doing this. And I stepped on this porch back outside, stepped out and I stood there and literally said to myself, Do I let this guy get away with this? Or do I rip him anew? Hmm, yeah. Bundle, you know? and, <laughs> I went, and I and because of what had happened two weeks before, I went. I better keep my mouth shut. <laughs> I've got a wife <laughs> and a child, and I've got a contract, by the way. And uh, they're just liable to say I'm i shouldn't be around people. <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. so I kept my mouth shut. We did the close up. Jack, when we're doing the close up. Jack nudges Harry and says the expletive kid is real, isn't he? And that was the instant that Jack fell in love with me. Yeah. Doing that. And that then led to everything else. He had a three character show written, which was *Big interrogation where I'm playing a rookie cop on, you know, working undercover and that whole thing. Yep. Anyhow, that that was the sequence that led up to winding up in Adam 12. Bob Mm -hmm. Senator who created Adam 12. Was researching the show at the time. Yeah, and so I was always going to be the rookie cop. And uh, and luckily enough that you know interestingly Bill Reynolds who had been doing and had worked for Jack over at Warner Brothers and done a couple things with Jack was doing the FBI with Ephraim Zimbalist and, mm-hmm. and Jack wanted Bill to get out of that. This is all later I, I learned this stuff, and he he couldn't. You know, he was on the FBI with Ephraim and Marty and Jack went all the way back to radio. Mm. And so, you know, it, it was my luck that I wound up with Marty. I'm sure, you know, I served with Bill on uh, the Screen Actors Guild on on the board of directors and he's a nice, nice man.
0: Yeah,
1: And I'm sure we would have gotten along, but I was just the luckiest guy in the world to wind up with Martin.
0: I definitely think so. I mean, the this, this show's legacy. I think it was what, there was so much going on in America at the time. And I think it was a nice balanced audiences at the time. Like, oh, okay. Here's a nice show about police officers who rarely pull their guns. You know, it does happen, but it wasn't the modern type where it's bang, 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 bang yeah. and blood and guts. It was yeah. a lot of innocuous silly things that uniform police officers have to deal with and well, the like,
1: interesting the interesting thing in the production of the show was that we had a grid and it was you know episode one you've got a liquor store hold up you've got a car chase down into the wash you've you know what whatever the other little incidents were a woman who's going crazy because she thought a salamander got out of them but whatever the thing yeah. <laughs> yeah you know so those are the three incidents that go on there and then you have a incident in the park and and so that would have been episode one so they go okay we've done a liquor store hold up so let's not do a liquor store hold up in episode two let's do a you know something and so we had this grid going on and what happened with the writers where a writer would come in and say you know reed's expect wife is expecting and blah, blah and we're gonna and 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 they'd look and they'd say, okay, we haven't done anything interesting on any stolen property or bank robbery or anything like that. They'd put the writer with a with a sergeant and go out and talk to police officers and come up with something interesting sure. that Malloy and Reed could respond to. Yeah. And, and so, you know, that was the way that the show was produced. And one time, Bob, you know, had said we could have a shootout every show. It happens. It happens somewhere in America. There's a shootout and we could do a shootout every show. I was particularly in love and still am with the movie Bullet Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: Steve McQueen, Don Gordon and the whole tenor of the reality that Bullet captured in for that era. And if you if you are a fan of that movie there's an interesting thing that happens and it doesn't happen until steve mcqueen actually uses his gun it never comes out until that moment at, towards the end of the movie and you know so that was you know you know the the thing and then marty and i spent a lot of time riding around i spent yeah. an inordinate number of hours uh with a guy who was essentially assigned to me i just yeah. call and say i'm going to come out tonight and we go to roll call and check the car and I'd get in. Finally, we had an incident between the pilot and the beginning of production of Adam 12. My house had been burgled. And I caught one of the guys who was part of it and wound up in court. And they said, we better get Ken out of the cars. (laughs) He's liable (laughs) to be a witness to something that screws up the entire production schedule. So, you know, it was, it was a, a real period of education. Uh, yeah. for me on a personal level but it was also the charm of what happened within the show itself in the public's look inside of a, inside of a car you know and, yeah. and as I've said from the beginning and Bob Senator was the one who said it to me this is a show about two guys in a black and white in the streets of Los Angeles doing what two guys in a black and white in the streets of Los Angeles would do
0: Yeah.
1: end of story and crime doesn't pay yeah, yeah. Those are the, you know, the the simplicity of Adam it was what its, you know, its yeah. charm was. And I,
0: and was, I <laughs> you know, and, and I and it. I and it's 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 still got a, a, a legacy to this day, absolutely. Ah, and you've you've had several uh, really fun forays into science fiction in your career. Um, yeah. Galactic nineteen eighty was not what we hoped for, and I know it was not what was promised to you. But Farscape, however, I think definitely made up for it.
1: Well you know two things glenn larson i had known from the days when he was a four prep the first appearance that ricky nelson ever did in front of an audience was at a high school and the the preps were playing an assembly and they invited rick to come to the to the assembly and play and so they had been on ozzy and harriet doing vocals and they work back, background vocals and bruce bell and i just uh, you know is still with us and i saw i haven't seen bruce for a couple of years now they appeared at a, at a car rally that glendale the city of glendale here in california does yeah. every every year and and has live music and everything and the, the new iteration of the preps were there and i got yeah. to visit with bruce but you know the so i knew glenn so Glenn called me one day and he said, "We're going to do a show. It's called Galactica." And uh, he said, "I want I want you to star in it." And I went over and met with Glenn at the office, and we drove out to the model shop and everything, and saw all the stuff that was being built. Yeah. And then we got into into a rather ugly issue between the studio and ABC, and I wound up not doing the original Galactica. Yeah. And so then, you know the the rumor, you know the the <laughs> the discussion that was happening on the lot about over schedule and you know the cost of it and the whole thing was going on and and the original went down. Yeah. So now a couple of months or I can't remember what the time timing was, but Glenn calls me again and he says we're gonna we're gonna do. Uh, Galactica again, this time we're going to find earth and you're going to be the lead guy. I want Mm -hmm. you again. And so, but you got to do me a favor. Yeah. I said, what is it? And he said, you've got to go over to the network and read. Hmm. And I hadn't read in 15 years. And for our audience, who's out there, you know, these things are, you know, walking into a room. With a room full of people and in this instance this night that i did this at abc i walk into a room of people there's a u-shaped couch and there's a bunch there's a coffee table and a bunch of munchies on the coffee and everybody's doing everything but paying attention to the actor and i thought it was right. most disrespectful of what was going on you know but that's yeah. the whole bullshit of the casting issue yeah and so so the fellow actor who was in the room with me they finally bring their attention to us and say you know you know, let's do the scene and we did the scene. And so we now leave. And I get a call from my agent and say and and Glenn said they will not cast somebody who hasn't read. So I've got to ask Mm -hmm. you to do me this favor. And I said, yeah, okay, and I do it now. They turn around, they hire. A male model. From another state <laughs> and and over this issue i've left my agent right mm-hmm. there were several things that were going on this was basically the last thing that they could be commissionable on and i wanted to change agents right and so i remember when she called and she said they went with this guy from and you know so anyway you didn't get it and i went you know you, i hung up and i wrote the telegram for due cause and reason i'm now dismissing you and yeah. so now the next day or two days later i wind up in who had been a friend and is now an agent he was an agent and he had worked for another agent that i had had very early in my career lee marvin's agent a man named hmm. Meyer, michigan and 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 I wind up in my, in this other David's office, and we're filling out all the papers. We fill out papers, sign, sealed. I got my copies. He's got his copies. He's on the phone. I just signed. Guy, you need to see him. We're gonna set up meetings. We're gonna. And David is working. And the phone rings, and it's my wife, and she says, Glenn Larson wants you to call him at the studio. Immediately, I'm like okay, I, you know, hang the phone up. I look at David. What do we do? He says, "Well, let's call him." So I call Glenn. What's going on? Get over here. I've got a script in wardrobe. They're waiting for you. I said, "I'm not leaving this office till we have a deal, Glenn." And he said, "Screw that. Let the agents and the business affairs guys do." And I said, no, you know, I'm not leaving this off. Yeah. And it was five o'clock. Yeah. Five o'clock in the evening. Mm-hmm. Friday. Five o'clock in the evening. I said, I'm I've lost this thing twice. I am not gonna lose it a third time. So we negotiated till nine o'clock. My new agent bested everything that the original deal had been. Everything. Yeah. And then I leave his office, drive over to Universal, I go into Wardrobe, and there's a script. And over in the corner of Wardrobe are the guy that they hired from (laughs) without reading. And there are platform shoes that are about that big. Just to give you, and, and they've they've got Barry Van Dyke, who by the way is just a wonderful, wonderful guy. And again, yeah. second time, you know, I, I, you know, lightning struck twice with, being yeah, in in people. And so why we wind up wardrobe? I have a twelve-hour turnaround. We're working the next day on Saturday, and we start working, and it's going to be a two-hour. And we're working and working and working and. I had, I finally get the script read as we're shooting. And I said, Glenn, you know, this, the ending of this thing, you've got me laying flat on my back while an extra runs in and saves the world. What are you doing? And he says, you know, I'll fix it. I'll fix it. And finally we were continuing shooting. And we're now turning a two hour into a three hour. Mm. I go into Glenn's office. I said, I know what you do. You start shooting and you won't let them off the hook until they say you're picked up. Stop shooting. And now I said, we're we're shooting the end tonight out at Van Nuys Airport. And he said, well, what about it? I said, you were going to change the thing. He said, well, what do you want? I said, it's not what I want. I just don't want to want knocked out, out cold while the bad guy gets away. Yeah. And he says, oh, OK. And he puts a piece of paper and it's very cantalisk, this instant. He puts a piece of paper in the, and he types the thing, he throws it out and he says, here, give this to the director. And I said, I'm not giving it to the director. You give it to the director. And, and so he comes out and we we're setting up the shot. And I said to the director, oh, didn't you get the change? And he said, what change? And I said, well, Glenn changed the scene. And and the director got very upset. (laughs) Anyhow, that was about the best day of the entire experience of Galactica in 1980. Uh, and And then Glenn begged them, don't pick us up. Let us develop scripts. Let us, you know, do it in September. No, if, you you know, we had started, the date was December 15th. Yeah. And they wanted the show and they said, if you don't shoot it, then we're not going to, we're not going to pick it up. Right. And it just became this cycle. They put us on Sunday night, seven o'clock, kids timing, seven o'clock was given back to the networks by the FCC that was supposed to be public information or news or, or kids program. Yeah. And then the whole network interference was just
0: yeah, you know, you just
1: pull your hair out. Because what Glenn wanted to do, and those who are who are familiar with probably the greatest sci-fi movie in the world, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Yeah, you know that's what Glenn was going to do. Yeah. So the Michael Rennie character, you know, coming to Earth, being you know integrating with the you know the with humanity in Earth on Earth, yeah. finding things, doing all that. There were glimpses of it that we got to. But at one point, we were shooting three first units Uh. simultaneously Mm. on the same day. Three first. And, you know, I, I hate to, you know, it's but it's an example of what occurred between Adam 12. We were always six, seven strips ahead.
0: Yeah. Now,
1: after Adam 12 ended in 75, now we're on. December 15th, 1979, we're shooting Galactica 1980 and we were no scripts ahead. We're, we're pages ahead. Yeah. And we're getting things where we've got a, a full set of the 747 at universal with background people sitting and doing all this Yeah. brought in, given 12 pages, be at this stage at this hour to shoot these 12 pages where you have no time to make the, <clears throat> Right, real, well, and all I did is kept going to Glenn saying, You know, are you buying this crap? <laughs> I'm not? And he said, no, no, it's fine, Ken. You're, you know, I looked at it, I started to look at it the other day and I just turned it out. It's one of the great opportunities that was missed, and it ticks me off that it didn't work the way that it would. And it was a yeah. good example of too many cooks in the kitchen,
0: yeah, so, which then. That's showbiz, unfortunately, for yeah. the good and the bad and the and the ill.
1: Yeah. So and then we come down and you get sequest, which was the team that created Farscape.
0: Yeah. And, and uh, that's yeah, Sequest and Farscape and all, yeah. all that really good stuff. We're gonna to go to our audience questions. So thank you for indulging my capricious curiosity. Let's go ahead and roll those ones, and yeah, we'll get you back next time. Let's talk about Farscape and, and Sequest and all the other fun stuff. And Here's one from Andrew who wants to know, what would you say is your greatest accomplishment as an actor? And what does that mean to you today?
1: Well, you know, it's, it's I think, obvious, Adam-12. The longevity of Adam-12, the fact that it, it, it puts the lie to the industry line that we really don't affect what happens with people. Mm-hmm. and it, And I say that because to this day, I have people who, who chose being in the law enforcement profession because of Adam 12, Martin Milner, or Kent McCord. Yeah. And it's had the greatest influence uh, uh, on my life. The other stuff that has it's, it's been fun and, you know, by no means, but the, the lasting effect of a show like Adam 12 that still plays 10 days, 10 times a week, I mean two episodes a day for five days a week on i think it's still on me tv yeah uh i don't get that channel but you know to this day that still influences people you know is something that that marty and i were very proud of we were proud of the fact that it changed a lot of perception by the public about what a law enforcement officer is changed a lot of law enforcement officers had a guy come up to me one time thanking me and i said for what and he said well for the show he said, I I the way I was doing the job, sooner or later I was gonna get killed. And he said, I started emulating the way you do the job. And I just wanted to thank you. Probably saved my life. Wow. And we had we had instances where when the show started right after it debuted, and these are things that stuck in my mind and and made the show so much more to me and to Marty. Two guys in a black and white stopped by. And they they said, we've been watching the show. It's, you know, we love it, you know, but you're really putting the pressure on us. I <laughs> said, why? And they said, we have to live up to your image. I said, good. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. And the, fact yeah, that yeah. and the fact that the other thing that stuck was a guy who came and said, I can, I can mark pre-Adam 12, post-Adam 12. Pre-Adam 12, kids never came up and talked to us. Post-Adam 12, kids are coming up to us now. Wow. You know, and they're interested in what we do. And, it you know, and those kinds of things, you know. So I have to say that that's probably, you know, the greatest uh, you know, achievement as an actor that I've yeah. uh, been a
0: part of. Absolutely. Absolutely. Andrew, great question. Thank you for starting us off with that. And what do we have next from uh were there a lot of on-the-set shenanigans during the, filming oh, on the set,
1: of Airplane 2? Air, well, you know, not so much on Airplane 2. A lot on Adam-12. Okay. <laughs> Marty and I had a great time. We had more fun than any two human beings should be allowed to have. And, uh, you know, so, but, you know, Airplane 2, Bob Hayes is a great friend of mine. I'm godfather to his son, oh. Jake. And, you know, and Bob and I are, are very, very close. And so, you know, we had we, that friendship came out of there. Fun working with Peter Graves. The, you know, there's an interesting story. This is, this is a, this is a, let me show this. This is a picture of my wife, probably as a sophomore in high school who was dating a friend of mine. And one night, I'm 15, and a bunch of guys, we decide we're going to go to the Hollywood Christmas parade, and we crash the green room where all the celebrities are that are on the floats and in the cars and everything on the Christmas, the Hollywood Christmas parade. And we get found out by a woman who comes over and says, I, you, you boys don't belong here. You have to leave. And we're sitting next to a man and I'll see if you can, if you can bring this up. Do, do you see whose autograph this is? That Jim Bacchus? No. Oh. James Arness. Okay. All right. <laughs> you know, and, and so, so Stuart gets Jim Arness's autograph on the back of my wife's picture and I get Jane Mansfield's on my student body card and it's
0: a heck of a body to
1: have in your student body yes and so so Arness when he hears this woman say you boys have to leave he says these boys are with me and and the you know and we were allowed to stay now the thing that I that is so idiotic of me two things peter graves is jim's brother yeah peter graves and i worked together twice i did a run for your life with peter and i did airplane two with peter sitting next to him jim arness and i had the same dentist <laughs> one day we're in the dentist office together in the waiting room and exchanging hellos and i forget all about this incident which just it, I kicked myself in the butt, and I was reminded of this because when my friend passed away, his widow sent a whole bunch of stuff that he had kept, and that's how I wound up with this this picture and his autograph again. So, you know, th- those kind of things, and and I and I I chalk it up to, you know, like with Andy Duggan on Seven Days in May. Yeah, I do a pilot called Pine Canyon's Burning, Pine Canyon, that was going to be a series. I take over a, a brush station in the northern part of L.A. County from Andrew, and I forgot to say to Andrew, we worked on seven days in May. You know? yeah. and so but I chalk it up to uh, I was back in in uh, in Indiana and went by James Dean's house. And spoke with James Dean's cousin, Marcus Winslow, and I signed on to a newsletter that is at the James Dean Museum and and, uh, stuff and I get a newsletter. And and when Marty died, there's a column of actors who worked with James Dean. Hmm. And they've got Martin Milner, who worked on the Stu Irwin show with James Dean. Hmm. Well, Marty and I were as close as two human beings could be. Our Hmm. families were like this. We, you know, we spent time away from Adam, we were on the road together. We were doing conventions and doing appearances all over the country. Never mentioned that he had worked with James Dean. Hmm. And I went, and when, when I saw that thing, I said, isn't unbelievable. And then I looked the thing up on YouTube, the the scene, Mm. and I chalk it up to just like, you know, you, you're working a day or two or whatever. And this young actor, Marty played the boyfriend of on the Stuart Owen show of the Stuart Owen's daughter. And and James Dean had to have been an actor who came in for a day, did a day mm-hmm. work and left. And Marty probably just didn't think James Dean. You know, yeah, <laughs> exactly. James Dean is doing day work, you know. Yeah, you know, he but the legend. I
0: think again, everybody's ours. Yeah. Uh, ditto. Great question. Thank you. I think we have time for one more? See if we go on a really fun one. And this is gonna come from Jody. If you wanted to be a contestant on a game show, past or present. What would you
1: have liked to have been on? Well, I I loved well game show. I loved uh, Hollywood Squares. Also loved doing Laugh In. Marty and I did Laugh In. Look up on YouTube, all of you. That's right. Yeah. You know the Laugh In stuff. There's so or or as my wife and I did during the pandemic. All of them are available on IMDb TV. I think all of the 144. And so we started doing things. I realized we really never saw Laugh-In because it was at the same time we were doing Adam 12, Laugh-In was on Tuesday nights at like 10 o'clock. And I was always in bed because I had to be up at five to be at the studio. So I look at them and I go, whoa, these are funny as well. Get out. And I hadn't really seen them. So we watched all 144 episodes in sequence a month and a half or whatever. Yeah. during the pandemic when mm-hmm. especially when we were sequestered here at home. But I, I loved doing Hollywood Squares. And I did a lot of Hollywood Squares. And it was the ideal game show, especially for having you know celebrity guests, you know, the fun with, with people like Vincent Price and with Paul mm-hmm. Lind and, and yeah. all of it. All of the people. You know. So yeah. that, that I wish, you know, they tried to revive it. Marty and I did it when they did the revision of it. It's, you know, it's kind of like trying to catch lightning. It's hard to do a second time. Henry Winkler
0: sure. owns the rights to it now. And yes, he's it. been, and he's, I, uh, and every time we have him on, it's just like, uh, Hollywood Squares, like, oh, Patty, I'm trying. I mean, I was at a meeting yeah. last week or trying to bring it back, you know. And so yeah, it's, yeah,
1: the thing is, it was, you know, you'd never, again, you, you know people like me would hardly ever wind up on it but you know they'd have everybody up but it is a fun show to you know to be a participant in because you've got the question and answer you can never recreate that center square with Paul Land i mean yeah know, one of a kind <laughs>
0: yeah to so, say the least i yeah. uh, so say the least uh, those were the days uh, Jody, thank you great question And GalaxyCon viewers, this has been my time. Kent, this has been an absolute blast. Any final words before we take our leave?
1: Well, I want to thank everybody who's on this call, and I hope everybody stayed safe during the pandemic, and I hope soon, and it's beginning to happen, but, uh, you know, I I read an article yesterday, and I don't want to end it on a downer, but we're losing 2,300 people a day and 66,000 people died in the last 30 days in America and so you know while we're all at odds over wearing masks getting vaccinations and stuff i'm vaccinated boosted waiting for a fourth booster and i'm sure that's going to come out and i and my wife will wear a mask until they can really signal and all clear and i hope everybody stays healthy and all your families stay healthy and listen keep 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 looking at at schedules i i turned down a lot of personal appearances, but hope to get back at doing it. I know that everybody's becoming more adept at keeping everyone safe at those live events. Yes, And I, I'm looking at my comfort level, number one, but hope Absolutely. to be doing it uh, again soon. But until the meantime, these things are fun to do. And thank you very much for being here.
0: Kent. Ken, has been my absolute pleasure to serve you once again. Thank you for joining us here on the GalaxyCon virtual stage. Thank you to our audience for joining us. And thank you for your great questions. Hope to see everybody again soon. Until then, bye-bye, take care, and remember, smiles are free, so spend them often. <laughs> Good.